You know, God knew what he was doing and he continues to know what he's doing and he continues to have everything under control. And I'm talking about right now today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'm telling you, today in Mark chapter 11, we see some fascinating things. And this is all relevant to today's uh, environment and news and everything else. So we're gonna study that in about three minutes. Stay there, Corey and Ryan are here, Corey. Today I'm taking a look at the Garden Tomb, also known as Gordon's Calvary. Ryan? Today I'm looking at a letter that apparently Jesus wrote, but which isn't recorded in the Bible. Oh, very interesting, fascinating. Okay, Janice? Today, Jesus reigns. All right, so take your Bible guide out. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, we'll tell you how to get one. So get ready with that. But if you do turn to today's page, let's open up the most important book of all. It is the Bible. Let's listen to what God is saying to us. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt, tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Mark 11 and 12. This is really, it's a great gospel. Mark is a great gospel. The gospel authors also do a great job of recording events from Jesus' life that fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. There are obvious ones like how the Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a colt, and less obvious ones like the timing of his arrival, as outlined in Daniel. But whatever way you look at it, the accuracy is stunning. The Bible is also clear that when Jesus Christ returns to Jerusalem, it will not be to bear our sins. He's already done that. It will be to bring judgment and to reign. Now let's look ahead to Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. Quote, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword 
that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. I tell you, I don't want to be on the wrong side of that, God's judgment. I am so thankful because of Jesus Christ. When he comes back, I'll be with him as his child. What about you? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you invited him as Lord of your life? I'm just asking the question. It's a very good question to ask and keep in front of everybody as much as possible. Take your Bible guide and turn to it today. Today we talk about into Jerusalem. And this is really great because this is the arrival of Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's very interesting. If you don't have your Bible guide, call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and uh, you can get it there. Father, I pray today as we look at this that we consider what you've done. And, and we're, we're looking back at your arrival into Jerusalem. Help us to keep in mind that we this time of grace that we're in is rapidly coming to an end. Help us to understand that if we keep on track and you've placed us in this time right now, you've placed us here. If we stay on track, then we need to keep you front and center in our lives so that people can see us and help us, Lord, the persecuted church today all over the world. There are many more now than has ever been. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to keep us strong as we step up for your decision and your will today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's take a look at the scripture. It's on the screen. Mark chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And here's what he said to them. Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered into it, and you find a cult tied on which no one has sat, loosen it and bring it. Verse 3. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say to them, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they sent their way, and they found the cult tied up by the door outside on the street. And they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, Hey, what are, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. This is absolutely remarkable. This small detail here. God knew what he was doing and continues to have all things under his control. God knew what he was doing and continues to have all things under his control. Beloved, we make our decisions using our free will, but God knows how we will choose. I remember explaining this to someone, and in, I was in a college class, we were teaching this one course, and I was explaining to students, we had like 60 students, and I was trying to explain it to them. And I remember going through this about four times before some of them got it. God knows how we're gonna choose. That does not mean that we don't have free choice. Of course we have free choice. We are confined to the timing, the time we're in, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is not confined. He is, this is time, and he's outside of time, and he can go in time, he's in time, 
anything you want, you can call him, talk to him, ask him, and he will tell you. Now, this is who we pray to. But that does not mean we don't have free choice. And these men went into the town and found it just exactly like God said, and they made the decision and they did it. Mark chapter 11, verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the streets and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The Messiah has been welcomed into Jerusalem. Jesus Christ will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me be honest. Revelation was or is an amazing passage of scripture. And it was written at a time. And God says to the seven churches, which represent all the churches, he says to them, listen, pay attention. By the way, you never hear about the churches again after uh, Revelation chapter three. But nevertheless, he says to the churches, he said, this is what we're going to do. And then he goes on in Revelation 19, I saw coming out of heaven, one who was seated on a white horse, faithful and true. And he, he has this name and he comes to rule, comes back to rule. God is coming back to rule, beloved, because he's already entered Jerusalem. That's very important for us to hear that. The question is, where will you be? Will you be on, in front of him or behind him? I want to be behind him because I've made my decision about Christ, and I encourage you to make your decision too. Mark 11, 11, one verse. Here's what it says. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things in the temple and in Jerusalem, at the hour, already late, as the hour was already late, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus went into Jerusalem and the temple complex, inspecting everything. That's how we know what's going on here. God knows and sees all things. We should give our lives to follow him. God knows and sees all things. We should give our lives to follow him. Now, there's people who make decisions in religion and they make this decision based on their feeling, that decision. I don't make decisions based on my feelings. I make decisions based on what God says, not my feelings. That's important for us to hear that because our religion is based in fact. Jesus came, Jesus was crucified. Over 500 men at the time saw Jesus rise in the flesh. Saw him after he rose in the flesh. That's important to remember. Beloved, we need to understand that God is real. And he's told us he's real and we can call on his name at any second. Say, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. I need you today in Jesus' name, amen. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. 
but he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. All right, so for my segment today, I want to do something a little bit different. I want to talk about evidence of Jesus outside of the Bible, because some scholars try very, very hard to deny the existence of Jesus of Nazareth, but it's virtually impossible to do. And that's because even outside of the Bible, a great deal of evidence exists that confirms he walked this earth. And today I want to bring to your attention just one of those pieces of evidence. In particular, an exchange of letters between a ruler named Abgar and Jesus of Nazareth. And these come down to us from the famous church historian Eusebius. And as Eusebius explains, these letters were found in the archives in Edessa. Check it out. Although unbelieving scholars have tried very hard over the years to deny the historical existence of Jesus Christ, including his life, death, and resurrection, this has proven very difficult, if not impossible. One of the main reasons for this is that several historical documents and ancient inscriptions attest to his life and confirm precisely what the Bible says of him. In fact, early writers, both Christian and non-Christian alike, confirm his existence. Some of these include Cornelius Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, Lucian of Samosata, Josephus, Julius Africanus, Phallus, as well as Eusebius, the famed church historian. As a matter of fact, Eusebius, in his work, The History of the Church, includes a copy of a letter written by King Abgar to Jesus. Abgar was a distinguished ruler of the nations beyond the Euphrates, and his letter was taken from the archives in Edessa and translated word for word. The letter reads, Abgar Uchema, Topark, to Jesus the Good Savior, who has appeared in the region of Jerusalem. Greetings. I have heard about you and your cures, that you affect them without drugs or herbs. For word has it that you make the blind see, the lame walk, cleanse lepers, and cast out unclean spirits and demons, and that you cure those suffering from great illnesses and raise people from the dead. And having heard all this about you, I can conceive one of two possibilities. Either that you are God, and having come down from heaven, you do all this, or that you who do this are a son of God. On account of this, therefore, I write, asking that you take the trouble to come to me and cure the ailment I have. I have heard, moreover, that the Jews murmur against you, and plan to do you harm. My city is small, yet honorable, and enough for both of us. Apparently, this letter was sent to Jesus in Jerusalem via the courier Ananias. What's more, Jesus sent Abgar a letter in return by way of the same courier. His letter of reply reads, Blessed are you who have believed in me without having seen me. For it is written about me that those who have seen me will not believe in me, even in order that those who have not seen me will believe and shall live. But about what you wrote me, that I come to you, it is necessary to fulfill everything for which I was sent here, and after fulfilling it thus, to be taken up to the one who sent me. Yet once I am taken up, I will send one of my disciples to you in order to cure your ailment and to offer life to you and those with you. This exchange between Jesus and Abgar is just one of many pieces of evidence for the life of Jesus Christ. In truth, if these same liberal scholars who deny Jesus' existence applied the same arbitrary rejection of historical evidence to other ancient personages, such as Julius Caesar or Alexander the Great, then they would be forced to reject all history as myth.
try as they might, unbelievers cannot get rid of Jesus Christ. There's just too much evidence that he existed. And as I mentioned at the end of the segment, other famous figures whose existence in history is never questioned by these same scholars have much less evidence that they walk the earth. So it's simply a willful rejection on these scholars' part that Jesus existed. What's more, the external evidence also helps to confirm what the Bible claims about who Jesus was and is as we witness today. And I know that we ran out of time, but Eusebius goes on to tell us that Jesus remained true to his word because the apostle Thaddeus was eventually sent to Abgar and he was healed. And not only that, but Abgar and many of his people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that day. And if you want to read the full account for yourself, then I have included it on our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Just look for the article called Jesus in Eusebius. Yeah, it's a really good article. And I want to uh, emphasize that uh, Jesus Christ started his kingdom. And at the initial beginning, uh, that was where everything sort of cranked up. You see this in Acts chapter 1, we'll get to it. And in Acts chapter 1, it sort of got to stay here to the disciples in Jerusalem because the promise of the Father mm -hmm. is going to come. What's yes. the promise of the Father? It's the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's right. It's just really, really good. That that was excellent, Ryan. And the 21st of October, make sure you join us at Faith Gospel Tabernacle. We're all going to be live and in person and there with you. So we'll meet you from 1 to 530. That's Faith Gospel Tabernacle, 21st of October. Make time. Register on our website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. All right. Well, it is day two of our three days of taking a look at options for the site of Jesus's burial. So take a look at the garden tomb today. The garden tomb claims to be the real crucifixion and burial spot of Jesus. It's located just north of the Damascus Gate of Jerusalem in the western escarpment of a limestone hill. It's a rock-cut burial cave that was first discovered by a farmer digging a cistern in 1867. Reports from 1874 described the cave tomb as half full of dirt and human bones. The cave was then cleared out by the owner for use. In 1883, the famous British general Charles George Gordon visited Jerusalem and identified the hill into which the cave is dug as the site of Golgotha, the place of Jesus' crucifixion. Gordon's reasoning for this identification was a spin on Golgotha's meaning, skull. For reasons that remain unclear, he superimposed a skeleton onto the map of Jerusalem and placed the skull at the hill's location. Further evidence was derived from cave-like indentations on the hill that make it reminiscent of a human skull. Gordon may have been dissatisfied with the rival Church of the Holy Sepulchre because the church, while claiming to contain Golgotha and Jesus' tomb, is inside the old city walls in a busy area. This seems to contradict the Gospels in which Jesus was crucified outside of the city and buried nearby in a new rock-cut tomb that was in a garden. Religious tensions may also have played a part as the church excluded Protestant worship. The garden tomb area was purchased in the 1890s by a group of Englishmen to preserve it. The area was cleared and a high garden wall built. Over the years, a few excavations have been carried out in front of the tomb, but unfortunately they were poorly recorded, were not published, and the discovered artifacts were never properly studied. 
1974, archaeologist Gabriel Barkai visited the site several times and has published evidence that claims to disqualify the garden tomb as Christ's. According to Barkai, the garden tomb is a part of a large Iron Age II cemetery, the time of the biblical kings of Judah, and that it was retooled and reused in the Byzantine period. Indeed, numerous burial caves dated to this time are found as close as six feet from the garden tomb. And the garden tomb appears to match their construction in nearly every way, while clashing with known first-century tomb construction. If the tomb was Jesus's, and therefore was dug in the first century, we'd expect it to be built like other tombs of its time. The rooms would be oriented one behind another. It should have burial niches, or benches dug into the wall with arches above them a sunken burial chamber floor, and characteristic tooth-comb chisel marks. The garden tomb has none of these. Its rooms are beside one another. Its burial chamber originally had three plain burial ledges, and the rock shows no comb chisel marks. At a later time, its benches were dug out to create sarcophagi characteristic of the Byzantine era, and there are also red-painted Byzantine crosses on the walls. All right, so just a few more pieces of info that I wasn't able to squeeze into the prepackaged segment, and that is that during Gabriel Barquet's investigation of the garden tomb in the 70s, he actually found a closet that was holding artifacts presumably found in the tomb, and they were artifacts uh, dated to the Iron Age that were very similar to Iron Age uh artifacts that were found in the Iron Age tombs nearby. And the Iron Age is the time period of the kings of the Bible. So this furthers, the, it strengthens the theory that this tomb was originally a part of that tomb complex. I mean, they're, they're only six feet away and it's a very large complex. So that theory gets strengthened by that. And today, if you visit the tomb, which I recommend doing, it's very cool. Today, you have to step up to get into the garden tomb. It originally wouldn't have been like that but in the Middle Ages, the area in front of the tomb served as a crusader stable, a place to keep their animals. So the whole area was carved out to facilitate that. And it's also believed to be the time when that the large cistern uh, in that area was also carved out to facilitate, again, water, holding water for the animals. The fascinating stuff, Corey. Thank you very much. Janice? Yes. Well, Jesus Reigns is the title of my segment today. Yesterday it was only Jesus, and the focus is still going to be only Jesus because it's Jesus who reigns. And as I was reading this morning in preparation for taping this afternoon, the triumphal entry, and isn't it wonderful that even the passages of scripture that we can read over and over and over again, there's just certain times and certain seasons that when you read them, some of the things just stand out to you, more life lessons um, for us to learn as we're walking through God's word. And as I was reading again, Jesus' triumphal entry and the way that it was set up and the response of the people where they were um, putting their clothes across the colt so that Jesus could, could sit on those as a saddle, um, and that they put their clothes on the road and, and spread palm branches and treated him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were rejoicing and celebrating. And I got thinking, it's so not like the parades that we do today, is it? Where the focus is not on God and his holiness 
and our worship of him as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But it's turned towards who we are. Oh, and who's riding in that car? Oh, and what are they celebrating? I want to challenge us today to make that triumphal entry of Jesus evident in our hearts every day. When we come to the Lord Jesus, you know, every day we have choices to make. Are we going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we going to make our lives available to him, whether it's uncomfortable or not? Will that that triumphal entry, that allowing us, that entry of Jesus into our hearts, are we going to make time for him and his word so that we can be changed and transformed? Will our worship go to him only? Because when we do, you know, Jesus came to the fig tree next and there was no fruit on that tree. It wasn't in season. When we follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives, the fruit will be evident in our lives. Some of you that are just new to the Christian faith, to the Bible, might be saying, fruit, Janice, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, stay with us because we're going to keep going through the Bible. But let me just read. What are the fruits of the Spirit that Christ will help to grow in you, in me, as we learn to follow him and his word? We will grow the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My goodness, these are the things that will become evident in our lives over time. It's not going to happen right away. We're not going to be successful in each of these things. We can't be on our own. We have to have Christ. We have to have Holy Spirit living in us in order to, to, to grow these fruits. And um, we come here to forgiveness and prayer. We see here that Jesus talks about that we have to forgive others if God is going to for forgive us. That's something else that we work on in our life with that triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Let's let God help us to forgive others so that he can forgive us. And Jesus' authority is questioned here by the Pharisees. They asked him a question and Jesus asked them a question back and they refused to answer. They wouldn't answer him. And Jesus said, neither will I answer you by what authority I do these things. Let's not question the authority of Jesus. Let's answer him when he questions us about the things that we do, the things that we need to change. Let's get in line. Let's cheer on Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I hope you don't get tired of me, but I got to tell you again, October 21st is going to be fun because we're teaching God's word. We're learning God's word and we're going to be live and you can come and meet us at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario. Look forward to it. Uh, we're only going to promote it up until the 20, 20th of October, but keep that in mind. Join us there. Father, today we pray, Lord, help us to live our lives open to you and open to your ways. In Jesus name. Amen.